The scripture reading today is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Hear the word of the Lord, and I'm reading from the message today. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph, and the virgin's name, Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty. Beautiful inside and out. God be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Justin, and it's a wonderful day, isn't it, to celebrate Mother's Day? Mother's Day isn't a celebration for everyone, but for some of it is, because we've all got mothers, right? Or at least we did. We must have had them once. But uh, it's an emotional day, isn't it? Because uh, it triggers all kinds of different emotions amongst us. Of course, it's the celebration, so we all take each other out to lunch, give each other flowers, But there are an awful lot of of women who struggle to measure up to the incredible demands of motherhood. And there are other people who wish that they were mothers, but they never got the chance to be, and they probably never will do. There are some people who were hurt by their mothers, some people who were hurt by their children, And there are some mothers who love their children, but their children have predeceased them, and it's a sad day, isn't it? So, huge mixture of emotions, but we should pray for a moment. James uh, reminded me to pray also for the folk in Fort McMurray, who have lost an awful lot as well. So, huge mixed emotions for them, who are glad that they're still alive, but they've lost so much, haven't they? So, it's like motherhood in a way, so let's lump it all together in one request to the Lord. Lord, we are grateful for our mums and for all that we remember of them, uh, good and bad, but we are who we are because our dads loved our mums and our mums loved our dads, and so here we are. Uh, And that was your doing, and we're grateful, Lord, very grateful. And it's you, Lord, who decides who we are and who our parents are and the exact places where we should live. And some people used to live in Fort McMurray, and I guess they don't anymore, at least for the time being. And we pray, Lord, that you'll bless all the folks who are displaced because of that great tragedy, that you'll help them to find love and a home and hope for the future. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, my mum was a wonderful mum, and I'm so grateful for her. She was a great storyteller, and she used to tell me and my sister all the stories that were in the Bible, so that when I think of any of the events in the Bible, the background to them is always in our yard at home, because that's where she told us the stories. That's a wonderful thing. She was a great storyteller. She wrote 35 books, which was fantastic. My sister, who's followed in the same tradition, also wrote... 35 books to date, and I think the number is still rising. And she's a great storyteller. 
she used to tell me stories as well. Now, her daughter, who's been teaching at Regent College these last years, she is also a storyteller and has written books. I used to be a preacher, but I'm not anymore because I'm an evangelist, and the people I want to speak to are not in the least bit interested in getting preached at. So I tell everybody now I'm a storyteller. So instead of preaching sermons, I simply tell stories. And I love the stories in the Bible because my mum used to tell them to me. And frankly, that's the way the Bible is written. Some bits of it, I guess, are written as sermons, but most of them are written as stories. And those are the parts that I relate to the most. Jesus only told stories, as far as we can see, because it says that without telling them a story, he didn't speak to them. That's just the way he did it. So I am the storyteller. Uh, I actually have written a book myself. Now, I've written several books, but the two most recent ones are the whole Bible told as a storyteller would tell it. Because we tend to divide the Bible up into little verses and chapters and regurgitate them with a series of points, generally three, all beginning with a letter P, and underscored and made intelligent by quoting the original Greek that none of us actually understand. But the Bible is a wonderful story. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just write the story. I'll pick out the storyline from all the complicated bits and the boring bits and the repetitions, and I'll just tell the story so we can all stand back and see the big picture of how all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle fit together. And I love that because that's the way my mind works because for that I have to thank my mum. So today I thought I would tell you a story, pure and simple. Uh, it's not a fairy story, it's a Mary story because Mary was the mother of Jesus and it seems appropriate we should think about her story today. So I'll just tell you the story, you can think about it. Mary was a child of Abraham. Uh, God had promised to Abraham, all peoples on the earth are going to be blessed through you. But the promise lay dormant for 45 generations and nothing happened. Mary was from the tribe of Judah, Abraham's great-grandson. And Jacob had promised him, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor will the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs, the obedience of the nations is his. And they waited for another 42 generations for that one to be fulfilled. Now Mary was betrothed to a man called Joseph. And the pair of them were both from the royal line of David, to whom God had promised, the Lord declares to you, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And that promise remained dormant for 28 generations. And then one young day, a young lady who didn't actually have much in the way of a, uh, I think, a, an inflated sense of her own ego, since she was, as it were, the recipient of all these promises, just a humble young girl, probably in her early teens, betrothed to Joseph. One night, dreaming about her upcoming marriage, she has an extraordinary experience. 
but she encounters an angel. The next morning it must have felt like a dream, but at the time it was vividly real. Greetings, he says, you're highly favored. Well, she didn't know she was highly favored. She just thought she was an ordinary young lass. The Lord is with you. Now, don't be afraid, Mary. It's all right. You found favor with God, and you're going to be with child, and you're going to give birth to a son, and you're going to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High, just as God had promised David. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, Mary had had the talk. In my family, I took my son on a canoe trip. And that was the sign that the birds and the bees were coming. When my grandchildren went on a canoe trip with me, they were terrified. So Mary, <laughs> Mary asked the simple question, well, hey, I've heard about the birds, and I've been on the canoe trip, how will this be, she says. And the reply from the angel was, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, so the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born of you will be called the Son of God. Son of God. Hmm. Now even your aged relative, Elizabeth, your aunt or whoever she was, she's going to have a kid as well in her old age. And it was always said that she was barren. Now she's in the six months of her pregnancy. You see, nothing with the Lord is impossible. And Mary, who hadn't any idea how this was going to be, and probably hadn't put together all the fulfillment of these long dormant promises, simply said, well, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm in. Let it happen to me exactly as you've said. Could it be that those promises that had remained dormant for nearly 50 generations were going to be fulfilled in nine months' time in the here and now for Mary? Well, the next morning, it, it did seem like a dream. She didn't know whether it was true. And the only way to check it out was really to go and see if Aunt Liz really was pregnant. She lived about 100 kilometers to the south, somewhere near Jerusalem. Now, how it was that Mary persuaded her mom and dad to let her go on a journey of 100 kilometers, I have no idea. Perhaps Elizabeth's husband, who was a priest, ran a DTS in their home, and she suggested that a DTS would do her good before she got married to this renegade Joseph fellow. For whatever the reason, she heads off, probably in the company of a whole traveling entourage, and she arrived there, and there she walks into the home. And she who feels nothing, who doesn't know what the promises mean or how any of this will be fulfilled is greeted by her aunt. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child that you're going to bear as well. I'm blessed. The, the child I'm going to bear. Do you know something that I don't know? But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So Mary finally gets the message. From now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. Wow. But what was Joseph going to call her when she got home? Three year, months later, three months pregnant. You cheating, adulterous, two-timing shrew. Or something like that. Don't you think? 
well, maybe Joseph was more polite than that. But when Joseph decided that he wouldn't actually stone her to death as the law required, he'd simply divorce her. And that was the end of it. And it was in the middle of making the plans for the divorce that the angel appeared to Joseph, son of David, don't you be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her really is from the Holy Spirit. The father is not some cheating two-time rapist. I will be that child's father and he will be my son. Well, the story became happy again after that. But the problem was, how in the world were they going to explain Mary's pregnancy prematurely, obviously, hanky-panky before the marriage took place to all the other people who lived in Nazareth? I mean, it was an impossibility, wasn't it? But dear old Caesar Augustus, way off in Rome, God bless his little Italian heart, decreed that the whole world should be enrolled in the census, which required that Joseph and Mary, both being descendants of David, had to go back to the family farm, which for generations, ever since the time of Jesse and David, had been just outside Bethlehem. So that's where they headed. And they arrived in Bethlehem just in time for the census to find that every room in the place had already been taken. It was like being a refugee from Fort McMurray. And there was no room. So whether it was a stable or whether it was in the open air it isn't actually clear from the Bible. But there was no room and that was clear. And that's where Mary gave birth. And giving birth isn't fun, is it, ladies? Happy Mother's Day. You deserve it. <laughs> but for Mary to be born in a smelly, flea-ridden, rat-infested stable... She must have been tough. And scarcely was she getting over the experience when a bunch of rough shepherds come banging on the door demanding to uh, see the child. And they do. And the last thing you want in a wee small hours is a bunch of shepherds who claim that they'd had some vision of angels out in the fields for crying out loud. And then the next morning they had to be up early because it was census day. So there is Mary and Joseph lining up with their newborn baby, lining up, and eventually they get to the table and the guy who's taking all the details of newborn babies, and he spots the baby. Beautiful baby, madam. I bet he's not very old. No, she said, as a matter of fact, he was born this morning. That's going to look great on my census form. <laughs> so he writes in the date into human history. December the 25, the year dot, because BC was all over yesterday, isn't that right? And AD didn't start till the afternoon. No? You didn't get it. Okay. <laughs> but the point is, though Mary didn't notice, notice, know it and Joseph didn't know it, there was their baby recorded as the year dot for human history. And I dare say that somewhere in the archives of Rome, there still remains some crumbling document that would record the birth of a little child named Jesus, whose mother's name was Mary, but the father's name was a question mark. 
on that census form. A few weeks later, they took him up to the temple, which wasn't very far from where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived, and doubtless they'd gone to visit them during this time. And they arrive in the temple, and there's this funny old man who comes up to them and says, Wow! Sovereign Lord, I, I can now die in peace, a happy, fulfilled man, because with my own eyes I've seen your salvation, he says, looking at the child and takes the child from Mary's arms and blesses the child. You know, this kid, he said, is destined to cause the falling or the rise of many in Israel. He's actually going to be a sign that many will speak against. Uh, and, madam, the day will come when the sword will pierce your own soul also. I don't know that Mary knew what to make of that, but the blessing was great, and like many of the other things that had happened around that time, she stored all these things up in her heart. It would have been her photograph album in today, today's world, but she stored them in her heart and treasured them. For some reason, they didn't go back to Nazareth, where they'd come from, but they rented a house in Bethlehem, and Joseph was a carpenter. It wasn't difficult for him to find work. So they rented a house there during the years that Jesus was a toddler, where he learned to walk, walk where doubtless he learned his first words. And it was getting on for two years later before a bunch of very important guys came knocking at their door. And there they were. They said, excuse me, where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? We've seen his star off in the east and we've come to worship him. And there was the humble Mary holding her wonderful little child. And when they saw him, those important men worshipped and they brought out wonderful, wonderful gifts. Great gifts to celebrate Mother's Day. Great gifts for the child. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Just three of gifts. There, there actually may have been a fourth wise man. But uh, his gift was Christmas cake, so they decided to leave him behind. <laughs> After they'd gone, having been warned in a dream not to go back via Jerusalem, the angel comes back for a return visit and says, Get up quick, Joseph. You take the child and his mother and you escape down to Egypt and you stay there till I tell you because Herod is going to give serious aggravation for the people who live in this town to try and kill the child. So they headed off as fugitives and what followed was a time of being fugitives. In Jesus' early years, it was like being a Syrian for they were on the run, like being someone from Fort McMurray. And so there they lived in a foreign country for a long time. There's a fair number of people from their homeland who lived down there, maybe also fugitives from Herod. But after a time, and I don't know how long it was, the angel comes back again and says, get up, Joseph, take the child and his mum and go on back to the land because those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. But when they got back to the border, they heard that... Herod was dead, but his wretched son, Archelaus, who was almost as bad as his dad, was reigning in Judea. So they bypassed Jerusalem, and they headed back 
to where they had previously lived before all this started, back up in Nazareth. And they settled back in the town of Nazareth. And Joseph took up the threads of what remained of his business. As I dare say, a lot of people in Fort McMurray will have to do in a month or so's time. Unless, of course, they're in the building business, in which case they'll do very nicely. Thank you. Now, it was in the years that followed, while they were living up there in Nazareth, that the family began to grow. There were four little lads that were born, Jimmy, Joe, Si, and Jude. Joseph, James, Simon, and Judas, to give them their full monikers, and a bunch of sisters who didn't really warrant so much as a mention of their names or the number, but they're at least in there that it happened. Ladies, they'll grow into Mother's Day and they'll be important, isn't that right? And they'll have a Mother's Day, if not a Sister's Day. But there we are, that's where the family grew. Uh, and it grew and it grew. And it was during that time that Jesus grew from being a toddler into a child and almost into a teenager. When it was that they headed off, as they did every year, for the family holiday down in Jerusalem. And they traveled 100 kilometers south till they came to celebrate the Passover. This was a big day for Jesus because it was his bar mitzvah, you might say. So they arrived there and had this wonderful experience there in Jerusalem. And Mary was so thrilled, so proud of her son and her other sons and her daughters because it was Mother's Day. And when it came time to leave, I guess the men all traveled with men and the women all traveled with women because they were Mennonites. And <laughs> I go to a Mennonite church and that's what happens in the Mennonite church. So Mary thought that Jesus was with Joseph and Joseph thought that he was with Mary and they both blamed each other when that evening they got together and he wasn't with either of them. So they had to turn around and head back into the city and they searched and searched and searched for him for three long, weary, very, very anxious days. And motherhood is a very anxious time, isn't that right? Because you worry about your kids, especially when they're about to turn into teenagers, as Jesus was. It's the most worrying, worrying time. When they're in diapers, you think, isn't it going to be great when they're not in diapers anymore? Isn't it great when they're a little bit older? But it isn't. Their, pro their problems just get more expensive and more worrying. I know because I am a great-grandfather. <laughs> Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> so when eventually they did find him in the temple, Mary gives him a right telling off. Some? Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Or something like that. Maybe it wasn't with that tone of voice. I don't know. But it sounds like a mother to me, doesn't it? After three days of worrying. And he turns around and he says, Why were you searching for me? I mean, didn't it occur to you to look for me in the first place I would likely be? Not the last place. It's the first place you'd expect me to find me. In my father's house. Duh. So why did you make it the last place? We're going to say it would have saved you a lot of grief if you started looking for me there, if you only trusted God a little bit more. Though, of course, he didn't say all that because he was a good son. I will be his father. 
and he will be my son. That was the promise. My father's house. And that struck Mary and Joseph. Maybe for the first time since the promise had been given. Who the father actually was. Now, 18 years pass. Motherhood progressed from Mary and all those little kids... There must have been six or eight or ten of them, don't you think, in that household, of whom Jesus was the oldest. And the babies all turned to toddlers, to children, to teens, to young men and women. Jesus was an obedient kid, but it was somewhere in there that Mary suffered the great grief of losing Joseph. Bereavement. And there still didn't appear to be any sign of anything unusual about Jesus, excepting maybe that he was an obedient teenager. (laughs) Until one day, 18 years after that time in Jerusalem, they were attending a family wedding. must have been a family wedding because Mary felt herself responsible for the catering department. Uh, They were all there. The whole family was there. Lots of friends. There were lots of cousins. And all the brothers and sisters were all there. And Jesus was there. And Mary was there worrying about the fact that they'd run out of wine. They don't have any more wine, she said in a tiz, speaking to Jesus. Oh, my dear, he says. Why are you telling me? My time hasn't come yet. The time after 48 generations of waiting for the promise to be fulfilled and the time still hadn't come. So Mary turns to the servants, you just do whatever he tells you. He was an obedient son to me, you be obedient to him. Jesus says, okay, well, fill the jars with water. Now draw some out and take it to the best man. And they did. And everyone was gobsmacked. Though probably only Mary and the servants actually knew what would happen, whether his brothers knew or not, I don't know. But somebody knew because they wrote it in as the first time in which he expressed his glory. But the next time they were all back home in Nazareth, Jesus was invited to do the preach, or at least to read the lesson. And he read this passage from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news for the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, release to the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when the reading was complete, he handed the scroll back, and he said, ladies and gentlemen, the time is now. After all those promises, all those generations of waiting for the promise to be fulfilled, it's fulfilled here and now in me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach. Were they pleased? No, they weren't pleased. They were terribly offended that any young upstart who'd grown up just simply as a carpenter's kid in their town, should stand up. And Jesus said, well, you know, a prophet's never accepted in his own hometown. I mean, in the days of Elijah, if Elijah wanted to be recognized as a prophet, he had to go all the way to Sidon. 
into Lebanon, for goodness sake. And Elisha was the same problem with him. There were lots of lepers hanging around needing healing, but none of them got healed. He had to find a Syrian way up north. Now, that infuriated them so much that they dragged him out of town to a clifftop. And they would have pushed him over the edge and then stoned him to death. But somehow, he just turned and walked through their midst. But the family who had to go on living in Nazareth were mortified. How could he possibly behave like that on his one occasion when he had the opportunity to preach in his own home town? <laughs> and after that, to make matters worse, he left them. He went off and he lived down in Capernaum, down by the lake, for goodness sake. So they were doubly miffed. He'd mortified them, embarrassed them, and now he'd moved out. He neglected the family. He, he was the head of the family now. He's the uh, head man in the carpentry business, for goodness sake. And, and mother needs him at home at a time like this, for goodness sake. What does he think he's doing? And to make matters worse, he's joined or is starting some extreme sect of religious freaks. Do you know what he's going around teaching people? He's saying that everyone who has left home, left houses and brothers or sisters or father or, or mother, for goodness sake, for my sake, he's going to receive a hundred times as much and he's going to inherit eternal life. Good gracious me, who does he think he is? So when word came back that all the country was flocking to him and that his popularity was exploding, they felt, they figured that they had to go and check this out. And there were mixed reviews. Some were saying, he's got an evil spirit. Others, worse, he's possessed by Beelzebub, for goodness sake. But the family, as they headed down from Nazareth to Capernaum to find him, all agreed he is out of his tiny skull. He is out of his mind. So they set out to take charge of him. Mary, his brothers, and his sisters. And eventually he arrived at the place where Jesus was. It was crowded and somebody said to him, Hey, teacher, your mother and your brothers, they're outside and they're, they're wanting to talk to you. And Jesus said, well, actually, who is my mother and my brothers? Here you are. Huh. My mother and my brothers, whoever does God's will, is my brothers, my sister, and my mother. So that when the time for the Feast of Tabernacles came round, the following autumn, Jesus' brother said to him, oh, brother, no good hanging around here. If you want to be known, you should go on down to the big city to Judea so that everybody can see the wonderful miracles that you're doing. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret here in this godforsaken corner of Galilee. Since you're doing these things, go and show yourself to the world because even his brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus said, you go on to the feast. I'm not going to go up yet. The right time hasn't yet come for me. 
not much about the story of Mary in the following year or two. But what we do know is that when the feast of the Passover came around, they headed back to town. Probably Mary went to town along with the brothers and probably the sisters and maybe all their little ones. They all headed down and they remembered what had happened at that Passover 20-some years previously when Jesus had been lost in the crowd. But there's no chance of him getting lost now because he was the center of attention, riding into town on a donkey and everybody waving and cheering. The grand entry, mixed reaction again, some people cheering his arrival, other people openly hostile, his brothers serious, seriously questioning tension. At the Last Supper, sure Mary was there, don't you think? Probably the brothers wouldn't have been excluded. But they never got into the photograph, did they, when the photograph was taken? Somehow they missed that. Uh, and where were they in the park when Jesus was arrested? And where was Mary who could have answered the key question at Jesus' trial as nobody else could have answered it? Where was she? Why didn't they call her as a witness? Who's your father, they asked. Are you the son of God? They could have asked Mary. And where was Joseph, for goodness sake, when you needed him? Well, he was dead, for goodness sake. You're right, said Jesus. I am. Why do we need any more testimony? He heard it from his own lips and they condemned him to death. And there was Mary struggling down the Via Dolorosa along with a large number of people following him, women, daughters of Jerusalem, he says. He hears them all weeping behind him. Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. The time's going to come when you'll say, blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. That is a great slogan for a Mother's Day card, don't you think? For some mothers it would have been. But that was not a happy day for the mother of Jesus, was it? No. Mary stood there by the cross. There were three Marys by the cross. There was Mary, the wife of Clopas. There was Mary Magdalene. And there was Jesus' mother Mary standing there with her sister, Auntie Salome, with her son, John, to comfort him. But there were no brothers there because the brothers of Jesus were still cynical unbelievers. And Mary's heart was torn the very time when she needed the family to be together, united as one. Jesus looks down from the cross and he sees Mary standing there with no son to put his arm around and comfort her. And he sees John with his arm around his mum, Salome. And he says, Hey mum, dear mum, that's John. He'll be a son to you. John, Treat her as your mother, would you? I'm sure Mary's heart was broken. 
sure she remembered the words of Simeon all those years before, 33 years previously. A sword will pierce your own soul also. There over his head, the slogan that Pilate had had put there, King of the Jews. Was that what the angel had meant when he said the Lord God will give him the throne of his father's David? Some throne. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. <laughs> Some kingdom. His kingdom will never end. Forever didn't look like it was going to last very long from where Mary stood. So John led Mary and Salome off back home. And that was where Mary received the news that it was all over. Her son was dead. Game over. It was all finished. It was all a great, big, terrible disappointment. A very black Friday and a very black Saturday and a very black Sunday until Mary Magdalene came bursting in, breathless, announcing that she'd met Jesus, that he was alive, and that he'd instructed her, don't hold on to me because I have not yet returned to my father. Go instead to my brother's. Who did he mean? Whoever does God's will, he's my brother, my sister, my mother. Jesus had said, go to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Remember? I will be his father. And he will be my son. But clearly, something that never got recorded in the Bible changed in the day or two that followed that. Because they all changed from being cynics and unbelievers who would not stand with Jesus when he was being crucified to being passionate believers. You see, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that makes all the difference. It starts in the heart, then it comes bubbling out of the mouth. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never, ever be put to shame. Jesus wasn't ashamed to own his brothers. Were they ashamed after that to own him as Lord? No because you read that they all joined together constantly in prayer. That's all the disciples. Along with the women and Mary, his mother, and his brothers. There they all were, constantly joining in prayer after Jesus had ascended. Who were they talking to when they prayed? When Stephen prayed just before he died, he addressed his prayer to Jesus. Did he call him Lord? How did the brothers and Mary address Jesus after that? <laughs> he wasn't ashamed to call them brothers. And now 
they were no longer ashamed to call their brother Lord. James, the eldest brother of Jesus, became the leader of the church. And when he wrote his bit in the Bible, it describes him as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a switch for a brother, don't you think? And little Jude, the youngest of the brothers, who also got included in the New Testament, he wrote in his little book, Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Isn't that great? Now we pray, Lord, that you'll help us this Mother's Day to treasure all these things in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you will move us forward day by day, step by step, so that we and our families will all honor you and love you and worship you on this day. For we owe our lives, yes, to our mums, but primarily to you. In Jesus' name. Please stand with us. i